coming to you from the Philadelphia area. This is the Westchester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O that David had composed in Psalm 122. It was one of the songs of ascent that the Israelites sang every year as they ascended the high and lofty hill and they entered into Jerusalem at the time of the feast. For generations, it was such a beautiful and, and intentional custom where before they have even entered into the city of Jerusalem, their voices are already hoarse from worship. And as they journeyed to the temple, this was not something that they necessarily had to do. It wasn't something that they dreaded or just had to get out of the way as quickly as possible. But rather, it was the ecstasy of their soul. What David says is that he says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And then at last, as they entered into the temple, it was only with hearts that had been well prepared to worship and to offer sacrifice. And yet, as we come to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 7 of Jeremiah this morning, we see that in the days of the prophet Jeremiah, that most, if not all, of that beauty has since been lost. Now in Jerusalem, you had your prim and proper priest. And then you had the prophets. I mean, prophets were a different breed. A prophet was a whistleblower. A prophet was the doctor knocking on the doctor's office door with a prognosis and saying that unless you drastically change the way that you've been living and eating, then we're probably going to be reading about you in the obituary a couple of weeks from now. A prophet was a punk rock band at a classical concerto. A prophet, with very few exceptions, was almost always a poet or a creative mind from the artistic community. Rather than Billy Graham walking up and speaking to the people, it was a lot more like Al Pacino walking in and speaking. If I were the man I was five years ago, 
I take a pretty food in this place. Yeah, I, you know, imagine if something like that were to walk inside here this morning. You'd be like, what is going on, right? At one point in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah, he picks up a flask. And he holds it up to everybody who was within earshot of him. And he said, this is you, O Israel. And then he takes that flask and he smashes it to smithereens right in front of them. I mean, obviously, prophets were not very well liked, as you might imagine. Prophets died at very young ages, usually. They were social outcasts, social pariahs. And yet, 600 years before the birth of Christ, for about 40 years, give or take, Jeremiah, who is a poet, was both the one who was decrying Israel's sins, and their darkness, and offering warning after warning from God. And yet also, and more than anything else though, he was a messenger of hope. Of if you will just listen to the voice of God, and believe that he really is who he says, and live in that way with him in your life, your life is going to be so much better, and so much more joyous and peaceful. And so we begin this morning in Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 1. And so the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim this word there and say, hear the word of the Lord, all of you men of Judah who enter these gates in order to worship the Lord. He's stopping them before they enter inside the temple. He, he's standing there at the gates. Now it's very possible that this is happening during one of the feasts, perhaps a Passover time, where you got everybody there all at once. And everybody who is approaching that temple firmly believes and fancies themselves as a true worshiper of Yahweh. So just imagine it. It is Passover time in Jerusalem. We're standing in front of Solomon's temple. Everybody who we know and everyone who we love the most is there with us. From off in the distance, you can hear the bleeding sound of sacrificial animals being brought in. In our nostrils, we can smell the sweet aroma of burnt incense. And what registers in our mind is, is that worship is about to take place. And there's this element of thrill, of anticipation. Sacrifices are about to be offered as we draw near to the Lord together. And yet on this particular day, though, it's just a different feeling in the air. God tells Jeremiah to stand at the gate and there at the gate proclaim this message to the people. It would kind of be like if we arrived here this morning and Walter was barricading himself in front of the back entranceway. Walter was not letting anybody enter inside our worship building. We're all standing outside in the parking lot all together. And then Walter begins to speak, not out of a pulpit, but he begins to 
proclaim to us God's words in the parking lot. And so Jeremiah was stopping them before they came inside God's temple. And in the message that he decries to the nation from the throne of heaven, I mean, there is so much that is revealed to us about what church attendance is and what worship attendance is not. So Jeremiah, through the words of God, says to the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and amend your deeds, and then I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And so we see that they were very persistent in coming to the temple. They were very religious people. And yet somewhere along the way, though, I don't know when, but somewhere along the way, they began thinking that just because they were the Israelites, and just because they took time out of their busy lives to come to Jerusalem, and just because they had entered into the gates and were standing in the concourses of the temple, that somehow that their mere temple attendance and that their mere ancestry in and of itself was their express way to salvation. And that God was automatically pleased and, and that he's going to automatically accept their worship no matter what. Amend your ways, God says, and I will let you dwell in this place. What is God saying? He's saying that all of this, the worship and the sacrifice and the temple itself, this is not a foregone conclusion. This is not something that one is entitled to. Or rather, what he's showing them is that drawing near along with, with those of like mind is a privilege. It is a sacred experience, one which is demanding reverence and awe. Spiritually and metaphorically speaking, it means that we are walking upon holy ground. And if it isn't, well, God's about to give them a prognosis that this nice, huge temple can be taken away just like that. And as we see in verse 4, they have, have some kind of expression that they're using as a religious incantation. Whereas they see Solomon's temple, what they say is, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And you know, we could just as easily say, well, we're the Church of Christ. We wear the right name. We pray the right prayers and we sing the right songs. We, we do all things orderly. Why, why, we're the Church of Christ, the Church of Christ, the Church of Christ. And you and I can go away feeling very good about ourselves, constantly saying on the first day of every day of the week, we are the Lord's people. I mean, what we're doing this morning is so beautiful and it's so vitally important. As we commune together here in this place and those who have tuned in this morning, this, this is so just indescribably beautiful. 
And yet what God has always wanted so much more than even all of this, as wonderful as it is, is our hearts and our faithfulness as we do these things. And and yet as we look at the Israelites though, there, there is really so much more to what God is saying to them other than what their thoughts were. And that is what their conduct was. And that's because they had perfect attendance in the temple and in the synagogue and at the feast. But they were no-shows at the most important worship service of all, which is their everyday lives. I mean, who they were on Friday nights, how they conducted themselves at home behind closed doors, what they instilled in the minds and in the spirits and in the imaginations of their children, how they treated their fellow man, and especially what their affinity was for the ways of God. So Jeremiah continues in verse 5, and he says, For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner or the fatherless or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place. And if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, notice God says, if you live in this way, then, 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 then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. And yet then God gives us a very graphic glimpse into their spirit, though. He says, but behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. And so will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offering to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say that we are delivered, only to go on doing all of these abominations. So God pulls the veil back and he gives us a very honest and a very accurate look into the nation's heart. We see the gross injustice festering. We see how they were mistreating the most vulnerable people in their own society. In verse 9, what we see is how they are blatantly spitting on the Ten Commandments and treading underfoot the covenant that they made with God as a nation. We see that idols have come into their homes and that God is no longer the only God who they're worshiping, but they're worshiping many gods. Close to the end of this chapter, God uses a phrase, burn your sons and daughters in the fire. And what this means is that they were sacrificing their children. They were killing their sons and daughters in a furnace, dropping them inside a fiery furnace, worshiping a foreign god called Molech. I mean, they were proudly and deliberately living this hellishly, only to come running to the temple on Saturday morning singing, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I mean, they were there. They never missed a synagogue or a temple service. But God can see that 
He is, again, no longer the love of Jerusalem's heart. God to them has now become a pushover. He was a lucky rabbit's foot. A cosmic superstition. Worship had become nothing to them other than an attachment to a religious palace. And to the God who they believed lived inside of that temple. They had become a very dark and a very corrupt nation. And now the song of ascent in the ears of God has now become a song of lament. Where in verse 11, God says, Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, God says, I myself have seen it. As you might imagine, what a robber's den was in this age was a place where criminals would go after they had committed crimes. So they would jump somebody out in the wilderness. They would beat them an inch from their life. And then they would go running back to the robber's cave where they would count all the money that they stole, all of the jewels and the valuables that they had seized from another person's hand. And they would just hide there until the next crime, and then they would commit more crimes and go running back to the cave and hide and count what they had pillaged. God is looking at his people and saying, this is what you were treating my dwelling place as. You have desecrated my temple and you have made it a robber's den where all week long you were committing spiritual crimes. You're breaking commandments intentionally and proudly. You were practicing injustice in the world. And then you come running inside my holy temple thinking that as long as I pass the state lines, then, well, God is out of his jurisdiction and he has to say that I am a son and a daughter of God. And yet as I read this, though, I, I am so alarmed by this. And that's because just like they were, you and I are also bombarded and surrounded by the idolatry of our world, of our society that does not know Jesus. We may not be um, tempted to drop infants in fiery furnaces, we may not have a block of, of wood that we're bowing down before in our living room, but I mean, every single day we have commercials coming into our houses saying that, that all the things God has given you is not enough. You need more and more and more and more and more. I think that is one of the foremost American gods, the God of more, isn't it? We are bombarded by the snares of unlimited lust instantly one click away if we should want it. We are surrounded by the enticements of materialism, by the nationalism that seduces us to be Americans first and Christians last. I mean, how superficial would it be if we gorged at those troughs all week long only to come running inside this cathedral on Sunday morning, singing, come we that love the Lord and let our, our songs be heard. Singing, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. Singing, all to Jesus I surrender. When all week long we haven't surrendered anything. 
We're living as if this world is very much, in fact, our home. I mean, how sad would it be if a church left a gathering on Sunday morning thinking that somehow because they sat down on these pews and walked underneath this grand majestic steeple and they sat inside a building with a sign on the lawn that said Church of Christ that somehow this is what is buying our ticket to heaven. That this is what is saying that this is what makes us children of God saying that now we can go and sin as freely as we wish to in order that grace may abound. And this is precisely what is going on in Jeremiah's time. I can look back at years in my life where that was very much a description of me on on certain weeks. And you know, lastly, what God says to his people is, go to Shiloh. Go to Shiloh. And you know, to us, Shiloh is just the name of some obscure city. And yet in the years of everybody who Jeremiah is addressing through God, they they knew exactly what Shiloh was. So God says through Jeremiah in verse 12, He says, go now to my place that was in Shiloh where I made my name dwell at first and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now because you have done all of these things, declares the Lord. And when I spoke to you persistently, but you did not listen. And when I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name and in which you trust and to the place that I gave to you and to your forefathers. And you know, long before they ever raised up a temple in Jerusalem, Shiloh, once upon a time, was the place where worship happens. Shiloh is about 20 miles north of Jerusalem. At one time, the Ark of the Covenant had been there. We could very well imagine people going in and out saying, this is the tabernacle of the Lord, the tabernacle of the Lord, the tabernacle of the Lord. But where is Shiloh now, he's asking them. What is God saying? He's saying that I want you to go to the place that was, notice in the past tense, that was where they used to worship me and see what it looks like now. Every last one of them knew, you know, Shiloh fell a long, long time ago. If they had in fact returned, I mean, they, they would have seen that the Ark of the Co- how the Ark of the Covenant is gone. And the tabernacle is no more. It's just a desolate ghost town out in the middle of nowhere that's become a religious cemetery. And so all throughout the book of Jeremiah, what Jeremiah is doing for 40 years He's issuing warning after warning after warning that that captivity is coming. That captivity is going to come. He promises blessing after blessing after blessing of all the beautiful things God would have done in their lives if He would have been the only God who they had worshipped. And yet in chapter 26 though and in verse 8, 
God once again has Jeremiah stand at the gate and speak to the people, but this is the response that they made. Where it says, And when Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of Jeremiah, saying, You shall die. I told you guys prophets were not well liked. And as history so tragically attests to in the year 587, 586 BC, we see the book of Jeremiah come to its close with the invasion of Jerusalem. This very same temple, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, that one, it's burned and it's desecrated to the ground. And everybody who survives is exiled a thousand miles to Iraq. And as the book of Jeremiah ends and it dissolves into the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah finds himself sitting in the gutters of an empty and a desolate street where where the blood of his countrymen runs at his feet. And in his silence, he can almost hear it. He, He can almost hear the songs. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart and I will enter his courts with praise. It was nothing but eerie echoes in the wind of a barren wasteland. The ghost of a worship that was nothing more than a superficial formality. It was all gone. And now Jerusalem is the new Shiloh. Their worship was rejected. Even though they observed all of the right days. Even though they sang all the right songs and prayed all the right prayers. And they fasted and they tithed and they offered sacrifices as as the 19th generation of those who had perfect temple and synagogue attendance. They emphasized attendance rather than attitude. They prioritized ritual rather than righteousness. Ceremony rather than conviction. Formality rather than faithfulness. The externals rather than the internals. And the lesson reverberating to every generation of of Jewish people as well as in the church itself of today, and every generation that ever will live, is that all of this, this is a privilege. All of this is one enormous and noisy and expensive waste of time. If our everyday lives are not a worship service to the Lord. As we close this morning, there are at least 104 times that we will gather together as the church. Whether in this auditorium or on go to meeting or wherever it is that we are coming together. So I just want to say that whenever we assemble together. Whenever we pray the prayers and we sing the songs and we eat the bread and we drink the cup. It would do us so well if just before we entered inside this auditorium.
or just before we had gotten on the go-to-meeting call before Wednesday night class, or, or whatever it is that we're doing in Jesus' name. We just stop for just one extra moment, and we stand at the gates, or we stand in the parking lot, or, or we sit in our car, and we make ourselves aware that as much of a blessing as it is, my attendance in this building is not what is saving my soul. In fact, one day, I don't know when, but one day it's going to go the way of Shiloh. It might be 20 years from now, it might be 500 years from now, but one day, as impossible as it is to believe, this is going to be a barren wasteland. And yet living a life of love and obedience and mercy and compassion in the name of Jesus Christ, that is forever and ever and ever. And then as we stand at the gate, just before we go inside, what, what we think in our minds is, is that this is not some annoying obligation. It's not something that I just have to rush through at all costs, but rather this is a privilege. This is a sacred experience. I mean, this is time well spent this morning. And I savor every single moment that I have with you as, as we do this, whenever we do this. And yet, how awesome would it be if tomorrow morning as we wake up, and as we're going out back into the world, if the song in our souls and the melody of our spirits is I was glad when they said to me, let us be the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates. Oh, Jesus Christ. Our Father in heaven, we stand in awe of your presence. And in so many ways, we have even more blessings than they did all of those generations ago. You have made us temples of your Holy Spirit. And yet we have been reminded this morning that as holy as what we're doing is in this place, that this is just really the cherry on the top. This is just the homecoming. So I pray, Holy Father, that we can leave church this morning and that we can remain in church all week long in our homes, at our job sites, Everywhere that we go, let us never leave church. Let our lives be one never-ending perpetual worship service to the Lord. 